Welcome to the BLS Podcast. I'm your host and founder of Bridging Legal Solutions, Suki Dillon Alberga. This is our third podcast in a series of educational episodes featuring groundbreaking entrepreneurs and professionals coming together to discuss the creativity that inspires them and makes their businesses flourish. To be clear, the podcast is not a platform for providing any legal advice but strictly an educational tool for our listeners. Welcome to the BLS Podcast. I'm your host and founder of Bridging Legal Solutions, Suki Dillon Alberga. I'm really excited about today's topic, um, which is how does a startup accelerate in six years to revolutionize senior care? I am thrilled to have our guest join us today. Stuart Hardy is the founder of CEO of Tanera Care a real-time monitoring and analytics platform to provide safe and healthy living for seniors. Purpose of Tanera Care is to help keep safe the most vulnerable segment of society by improving the quality of their lives, increasing data support for their care staff, health practitioners, and their families. And best of all, it is 100% Canadian-based um, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Thank you so much for joining me today, Stuart. Thank you for having me. Um, That's awesome. Awesome. Um, I just wanted to start, if you could, we could start with you sharing with the audience your journey as an entrepreneur. Maybe start from how you were inspired by the idea, early beginnings as a startup to present day. Sure, no problem. First off, I'd like to say, though, we haven't revolutionized senior care yet. Uh, but You're getting well, there. <laughs> I think we're well on the way. Yeah. So what started this journey was a, a personal experience. Like so many people, when they start endeavors, it's it all bases on a personal story. And for me, it was my grandmother. Um, she yeah. passed away in a long-term care home a number of years ago. And, and I didn't, yeah, and I, I didn't think it was necessary. You know, it was one of those things that uh, it's a common story. It's not unique to me or my family, but she got up in the middle of the night and she fell. And nobody found her for quite a while. And as a result, they had to let her go. Um, and so I felt that if we could have, I mean, you know, look, looking into it at the time, I looked at it, you know, the methods for her to get help was to push a button by her bedside or literally, and, and this is, you know, we're in the 2000s now, pull a string on a wall to activate a call bell system mm -hmm. only available in the bathroom. So I wanted to create an automated systems, and, and that's essentially what we did. We created an automated nurse call system. So based on my grandmother's and any grandmother's care protocol, the nurse can assign certain notifications that automatically happen when those events happen. So uh, hopefully we can keep help people healthier and safer and, and happier in these care homes. Right. That's actually really um, fantastic. I was super impressed because it actually hit home for me as well because I have an 86-year-old senior father and I did have a mother-in-law uh, who was who had Alzheimer's and was in lockdown care four years ago and has since passed. So when I sort of came across your company, it was like, 
this is this is this is amazing you know and so i can understand it from all perspectives you know of the benefit of your product um can you tell us a little bit about TerraCare's promise is to never miss what and can you explain what that means by sharing the features and benefits of your product? Sure, exactly. So really what I'm saying is things, events like my grandmother's, we just never want to miss those things. Those things, those are the things that matters when you're, you know, having negative mm -hmm. events, uh, you know, getting out of bed and issues, uh, hostile interactions, going into the wrong spaces, spaces, elopements, pressure ulcers, all those things that really matter. You know, I give credit to the staff at care home facilities. They have a tremendous job. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, all their clients are going to pass away. I mean, that's, a tremendous yeah. I can imagine the emotional toll that they take on a daily basis and they just don't have the the ability to monitor everybody all the time so what we do is we give them a tool to monitor for negative events 24 7 so they'll never miss what matters so if somebody if there's a closed door three o'clock in the morning and somebody's getting out of bed to use the washroom and they have issues the staff will be alerted to that this, that event is happening. If somebody tries to go into somebody else's room and they have hostile interactions, staff will know. So we're giving them a set of eyes 24-7 um, just to monitor negative events, not to really, we're not tracking people or anything to that extent. We're just monitoring for negative events based on each individual care protocol. So it's something you set up based on that person and what their needs are. So we're really adjust, uh, you know, fine tuning to exactly what the residents needs are. And I also recall that when we first had a conversation together, you also mentioned that it actually has preventative measures as well. Like if there's a, a dip in, in sort of their behavior um, in terms of how much they're eating or, or, or what's happening that it can be alerted to their doctors. So you can catch things ahead of time and be proactive. Um, can you say, just talk, elaborate a little bit about that? Sure, exactly. Because, you know, because we're monitoring their environment, we're going to understand their behaviors so we can understand, you know, the amount of time they spend in bed and their bathroom visits and we can ensure that th these things do happen. So if you have, um, you know, a, a trend that is happening, say you're walking less, then we can monitor that and say, hey, maybe there's a reason why you're walking less and we can address those situations. So we have the ability to monitor the trends in your behaviors um, solely solely for the purpose to understand how medications are working, how you're doing really, how your wellness is and how you're feeling. So if you haven't had a social interaction in a while, then maybe it's time that we get you involved in some social activities. Um, you know, the key things are mobility and social interactions. So we can ensure that those things happen by being able to understand, you know, your environment and how you're interacting with it. As once a caregiver and, a, you know, a family member of an elderly person who was in, in lockdown facility, to me, that is revolutionizing right there. And then because um, I remember that always used to be sort of top of our mind, you know, um, and the staff there was fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, this, this is a very revolutionizing, I think, feature that even helps doctors, you know, uh, to provide that adequate care um, that these elderly individuals definitely need because, yes, they are the most vulnerable segment of our society. I'd now like to turn to, if I may, um, just getting back to, you know, your early days of starting up. And I'd like to segue into my next question about that, um, which was, um, Actually, before I do, I, I do want to mention one more thing is I was also equally impressed that Stuart, you yourself did not have any kind of tech or healthcare background. Like that's really courageous of you to go into a new space of technology and coming up with like, what was that like for you? Um, it was, you know, 
I don't know. I don't think you need an education to do certain things if, as long as you have the desire to learn. When I say education, I mean formal education. Um, you know, I, I've always been a problem solver and uh, mm-hmm. I've attacked problems the same way for my entire life, whether it be, you know, I was a hardwood flooring guy for a while. I built bowling alleys for a while. I was a sports photographer for a while. I did a number of different things over the years. And, and when I say a while, I mean, I'm in my 50s now, so it's not like there are two minutes at each thing, but it's just learning. You know, I, I learned how to solve problems. And so when I identified this problem in long-term care um, and at home care, just in healthcare in general, um, you know, I attacked it the same way. And uh, one, of, one of the big things I did is get the right people around me um, that I could learn from um, and experience their experiences and learn from their experiences. So it wasn't as challenging as it might sound. Um, it, it was a different problem in a different world, um, but just learning how to do it. It took a little while, you know, I mean, it took a little longer because I had to learn along the way, but uh, it was interesting. Uh, very valuable. And I, yeah, thank you for saying that because I think, you know, when we talked uh, before as well, we were talking about how sometimes just the drive and passion for um, what you're doing and you, you sort of come up with a solution for something that in itself can kind of keep you going and motivated and getting it done. And that's where the joy and the passion comes. And then you see the success and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, like this was worth it. You know, all the sweat. <laughs> <laughs> tears that you put into it. It's like, yeah, it was worth it. And I, I, um, I really commend you for that. I really do. And I have utmost respect for that. I really yeah, do. I appreciate that. I, I just, one little further point, um, yeah, tenacity please. is a key thing, right? You're just never giving yeah. up, but mm-hmm. th- that little, uh, pot of gold at the red, end of the rainbow for me was, um, experience the, the reactions from seniors. There was this, the big, the big moment for me, I think was a few years ago when we finally, we did our first big installation, and uh, a 91 year old lady said to me, uh, I asked her, she didn't know who I was. I said, how do you feel about this band you're wearing? And she says, you know, I don't live in fear anymore. I don't be live oh. in fear. Being forgotten. Yeah. And uh, I, I had to go. I had to go to the parking lot because I had tears in my yeah. eyes. Um, oh. It's so meaningful yeah. what we're doing. It's, it's not for a dollar. It, you know, we're changing these very vulnerable people. We're changing their lives and giving them some peace and harmony in the last few days. That's amazing. And, and that in itself is the biggest reward right there. Right. Yeah. It makes it all worth it at the end for sure. Um, What was also exciting to learn about your and and starting up and just getting back into the journey of you as a startup first um, was the experience. Like what was your experience like with uh, the creative destruction recovery program, which is uh, CD? I mean, how did it feel, first of all, to be selected? And then second of all, what was the biggest takeaway you learned from that program? And before I just ask you to answer that question, I just want to let listeners who are not familiar with the CDL to just give an explanation of what the program consists of. It's a nonprofit organization that provides nine months program for massively scalable seed stage science and technology based companies. The program allows founders to learn from experienced entrepreneurs and increasing their likelihood of success. Founder in 2012 was Professor A.J. Argrol at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto, who started the program, and now it's kind of expanded into, um, you know, eight different um, countries now. But um, could you explain that experience? Sure. Uh, well, first off, I didn't even know what we were getting into. Um, that we applied for the pandemic response, the CDL pandemic response, right at the beginning. I guess it was about two or three months into the pandemic and nobody knew what was happening then. And I 
nobody could have predicted what continued to happen over the next couple of years. So at the time, we just applied for everything. Uh, there was a whole lot of different things we applied for because we just wanted to stay relevant. Um, we didn't want to get buried by the pandemic. And so when we got accepted, I was like, yay. I didn't even go to the first meeting. And then my staff came back and said, Stuart, you need to come to this. And I went and uh, it was amazing. Uh, so worthwhile. Um, you, you know, you have the ability to sit in a room with 100 people from many industries and markets around like defense, government, education, the market we're in, long-term care. Um, it's just the, the vast breadth of knowledge and experience that were in this room from all over the world. And they're there to help you. Uh, and they did. It was very because we were, you know, at that point in in our um, in our journey, we had realized that we had world class contact tracing, like literally better than anybody else. The fact that we can understand when two residents get close together for hostile interactions also gives us the ability to understand when two people get together for for whatever reason. Um, so we were able to implement contact tracing. So because of that, at that time, we had interest from many companies, Tyson Foods in the US, Marathon Gas in, in Texas, um, Clearwater in, in Scotland and Ireland and all over the place. So literally all of the world people were interested in our product. And so that caused the challenge for us because you know, there's all kinds of shiny objects all of a sudden. So, you know, do we have this one? Do we have this one? Do we have this one? So I think the biggest thing I took from CDL is we were able to bounce these ideas. And some people said, go for it, you know, go to that vertical. Go. But it would be, we're a small team. It would be a tremendous pivot. We'd already invested at that time four years in the R&D and building a product. Uh, you know, you talked about our product being Canadian. It's manufactured in Canada as well. It's designed everything. It's all mm -hmm. Canadian. Product. So to go away from that, would have been a massive pivot. So I think the biggest takeaway I took from CDL is we're on the right path, stay on it, ignore the distractions, um, which was challenging because you get all these, like I said, all these shiny objects and these really big people. And I mean, big, I mean, you know, like the, it was the uh, the second in charge of Tyson, I can't remember his name was app talking to us. Same with Walmart. Uh, the one right under the, the Walmart family member was the people we were talking to. We were talking to, you know, C-level people that were interested in doing big things with our product. So to stay focused on senior care was extremely, extremely challenging, um, but it was a good lesson to learn, you know, stay the course, no matter what the distractions are, keep everybody focused and keep moving on because we're doing a good thing. That's the key. That is the key, especially when you have um, a fantastic idea that you know is going to be impactful and solves a problem. To stay that course, it, you're right. It can be very difficult. You can easily go into you know another lane or whatever and get distracted. But to keep that focus and stay um, authentic and committed to your vision, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd like to also ask you, um, since, I mean, now you're what, six years into, into the company, right? Um, mm -hmm. Looking back, what were your challenges and what were your greatest wins? <laughs> that's, that's, that's an interesting question because it's, it's so simple and basic for us. It's not very complicated mm -hmm. at all. The biggest challenge we ever had was make it work. I mean, we built mm -hmm. something that nobody else has been able to do. Um, the, the, what we can do is, it will hopefully will be revolutionary at some point, but the fact that we can understand where people are to the precision we are in real time and be able to affect the things we're doing, uh, it's nothing the market's been able to do. So like the big companies, Stanley Healthcare, Philips, all of those people, they, they can't do what we're doing. Apple can't do what we're doing. Like they're, the Apple has the Apple tag. Our technology is even more advanced than that. So 
the biggest challenge for us was making it work. And we went through a lot of iterations. Um, you know, I started with Zigbee, that didn't work. I used low energy Bluetooth the, off the shelf, that didn't work. And it took us, you know, our own team and our own team of engineers to build it out. So it's simple, uh, biggest challenge, making it work. Um, that was the biggest, mm -hmm. but once we made it work, the secondary biggest challenge was making people believe that it worked. You know, getting the mm -hmm. market acceptance and acknowledgement that this is a great tool. So. Those were the big things, and and so the big win for us was when we had um, you know a couple of governments, the provincial governments, say, yeah, this is something we need. This is the future. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move forward. And the federal government, especially, uh, <clears throat> I mean, you can knock Justin Trudeau as much as you want to. Uh, we all do at times, but the federal government has been amazing. Um, and I think it even goes back before Trudeau. Just the programs in place to help companies like us. So the, a big win for us is get the support of the federal government in so many different ways, not just financially, but uh, you know we had obviously there's licensing regulations thing we're doing. So we had uh, support from the Standards Council of Canada. Uh, we've had support from CSA. Uh, we've had uh, support from HSO. I mean, I can rattle off all the acronyms. Yeah. Canadian government federally, and they've been very supportive. So a uh, huge win to be recognized by the government as, you know, this is a worthwhile endeavor. Um, this is something good for Canadians uh, and let's support it. Right. That's fantastic. Um, I just want to quickly ask you, because you just said a really important point, even within your challenges, like you were like, we tried this and then we tried that. When you're in those moments when it's not working and it's challenging, um, how do you get yourself keep going like what was the key thing for you in particular because i think it would help our listeners who are entrepreneurs who may sometimes or maybe even facing at this moment where it's like i keep hitting a block i keep hitting a block what would you say well you know i, I think my personality is different than most but really i think the thing that drives me is that uh, in my own mind i don't have any options it's either succeed there is mm -hmm. no fit Failure is not an option for me. It's never been an option. So there has been a lot of pushback and kickbacks and fallbacks and drop. Like there's been a lot of challenges in the way. Like there's, you know, you invest all this time. There was one prod, one along the path. We had worked on this one technology for over a year, um, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on it, and then realized after a year, this wasn't going to work. And so having the ability to pivot away from that and understand that regardless of how much you invested in it, uh, I think for me was was the key, being resilient and just being willing to change and pivot as we had to uh, was a big key for, for our success so far with our team was, you know, understanding those moments when they happened. I look at other people in this market. We're not alone. Uh, I think we're far more for advanced than most people trying to do what we're trying to do. But I look at some of the other companies and they're still stuck on low energy Bluetooth technology. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got that a couple of years ago and that, that's a, that's an important fact i mean the fact that there are, it's low to energy bluetooth isn't a fact but the fact that it's technology has proven not to be able to do what we need to do and still trying to make it better you know not understanding the limitations mm -hmm. of ourselves as well as our product you know and we think we have the ability to understand those uh, better than most what our limitations are willing to move on from them and, and just not give up yeah and that's a courageous thing to do you do need courage <laughs> when you're an entrepreneur that's for sure <laughs> I think some, I think some, and I appreciate that. I really do. But I think some of it's fear too, right? Yeah. Fear of failure. Uh, yeah. Courage is a great thing, but having fear of failure as well, and not letting that win uh, for me has been. It, I, that's how I feel about it anyway. I was more afraid yeah. to lose than to be courageous and stand up to anybody. It was more more fear of losing and failure than anything else. Because the people I'm letting down is my own family. You know that that's the way I yeah. looked at. It. You know, it's, it's, you know, my grandmother's passed, uh, my stepmother passed last year in circumstances that we could have helped, but my dad, mm -hmm. he's 87 
um, he wears one of our devices and my mom, she's 81 or I guess she's 82 now. And uh, she has one of our devices too. And we've been able to help them. And my dad fell yeah. a couple of weeks ago and it was our, our device that saved his, it literally saved his butt. So <laughs> bless him. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I do want to mention something really exciting that happened um, back in May of this year where um, Tanera Care got funding from the Atlantic Canada Opportunity Agency in your workforce and global growth opportunity. What does that really mean for the company? Everything. You know, I, I talked about it uh, briefly a minute ago about the support from the federal government. Uh, for those mm -hmm. that don't know, COA is an Atlantic Canada one, uh, arm of the government to help companies succeed and survive and grow here in Atlantic Canada. And they've been absolutely tremendous with their support over the years. This isn't the first opportunity they've had to help us. This is, I think, probably the, the fifth or the sixth opportunity. I think, but without those supports and those, those programs in place, um, we just wouldn't be. You know, it wouldn't be a matter of, I mean, what they, what they help us do really is protect our own companies. Uh, so we still, I, I still have a lot of equity in my company and, and my staff and employees that work with me and built this team together, they have equity in the company. We didn't have to give it away to somebody else for raising money. We had the support of the federal government and they're, you know, the arrangements they give you, the financial arrangements they give you, give you the opportunity to succeed. You know, they, if they give you money, you're not paying it back the next day. You know, you're, you've got that time period. It's just a tremendous program and I have nothing but great things to say about it. Without it, we wouldn't be here today. And with, without us being here today, you know, those people that were hit and hurt and insulted and stuff would still, that, those things would still happen. So, you know, they're very responsible for us being able to help people in long-term care. Great. Um, I'm, my final question, which has a couple of parts, but I think it's really important for listeners to hear, and, and I'm anxious to hear what you have to say, um, is in light of the current national and world markets, uh, what would be the best advice you would give to any startup or existing business in the areas of one, importance of building a team, second in feed and funding rounds, and finally, um, when any challenges and hurdles that you may have with regulations and compliances? Well, I mean, they're all interrelated there. Um, yes. I mean, to me, the most important things in building anything, uh, having a great idea, having a great team, and having money to do it. So those comprehends, those three questions are pretty comprehensive towards those things. That, so the first one, the building a team, um, you, you know, I, I was very lucky to to build a team of people that I knew already uh, and had experiences with. And I think that was key. And I think that's what really pushed us forward because there was none of that building trust period. You know, when you when you meet somebody new, when you hire a new employee, it's three to six months before you really get to understand mm -hmm. their capabilities and, and where they are. Well, we hit every employee right off the ground running. So when we bring in a software engineer, they were up to speed within a couple of days and off they go. And there was no building micromanaging or anything like that, because I had relationships with these people. And if I didn't, then other people on the team did. And so that mm. trust, we didn't have to say, oh, we have mm. to watch this person for a week. We have to train them and do all these other things. So building a team that A, you can trust is super important. B, competent is super important. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, and just having that cultural you know, that complete cultural experience is super important. So we're, here's a, here's a great example. We're a fun group and we do very different things all the time. Um, so the other day there was a commercial on about Grand Big Macs and we're in the middle of a meeting and this commercial came up and just out of the blue, I said, okay, Thursday, we're having Grand Big Mac day. And so everybody came into the, and it's funny because 
we have a very diverse group. We get a guy 76. Um, we have a young woman who runs our software team. Like it's just, we get some people from Asia, some from the UK, like a really diverse, really fun group. And when I said, we're having grand big Macs, everybody came in. <laughs> bags and bags of the most disgusting food you can possibly imagine. But it, but it brings people together, right? Over silly yeah. things, so having yeah. that culture, you know, the trust, the, the competency and the culture, I think are the three big things for our team. And they were absolutely tremendous. Somebody asked me the other day if I could start over um, and would I rehire people on my team? And I said, to a person, I would rehire every single person. Uh, it's just an exceptional wow. group that we have working with us. Um, but the big thing is you have to pay them, right? I mean, everybody, uh, mm. you know, that's another thing about our team, too. They're not driven by money, which is great. They're paid well, don't get me wrong, but they're driven by doing something that's going to affect change in people and their own families too, but you have to pay them. And uh, so, you know, with, it's great to have a great team, but if you can't pay them, you have nothing. So funding is huge. Uh, absolutely massive. That's ex what I spend, unfortunately, most of my time doing is fundraising. And we've had, you know, like back to ACOA and the federal government, there's lots of opportunities to get money from the feds uh, and they're very helpful. And there's some certain programs with provinces that are good as well, but the importance of funding can't be underscored. Uh, you need to have money and you need to have runway. Like I, I was expecting, you know, oh, I'll get this much money. I remember the very first time I raised money and I think it was 75,000 bucks. I was so excited. Uh, <laughs> the end of the world. Like, oh, I got 75,000. Yeah. I mean, now now it's millions that I look at that I'm trying to yes, raise. At a look at that. So, yeah. yeah, it's, it's super challenging um, and it's so important to have the ability to say no as well. Um, I've said no to enough. I've had somebody gave me a million dollar check and I passed it back to them because I didn't like the terms. Um, you really have to be careful about what money you take, uh, whose money you take and what the, what's, what's tied to it. Um, you know, protecting your own equity. It sounds like, you know, there's a, people say all the time, oh, well, 100 percent of nothing is nothing and 10 percent of a great thing is a whole lot more. Yeah. But if you don't control that journey um, and when I say control, I don't mean like micromanage, but where you're going you know your vision as a founder th that's key and that's key to your success so you really have to make sure you maintain the ability to direct your own ship um and, you know when some other big company comes in and start a vc or whoever and starts directing who you hire when you hire how you hire you know what your future sets are and all other stuff well you're just an employee then mm -hmm. and if you want to be an employee that's great you know there's nothing wrong with that i mean because and most of the people on my team are employees. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But as a founder and a visionary, if you want to retain that control, then when you're doing your funding, those are the big key things to, to maintain and, and make sure of. Um, and the last question you asked me was about uh, compliance and how you deal with that. Well, mm -hmm. I think a, a more challenging market to get into than healthcare because mm -hmm. it's the, the most regulations and licensing requirements around. And, and the big key to that is uh, get a plan, Put a plan, plan in place and be patient uh, and expect it to take at least two or three times longer than you expect. So if you expect it to six months, then plan on a couple of years. Um, so really temper expectations on how you're going to do it. But, you know, when we went into this, it was, you know, our mythology wasn't really to change things yet. The licensing and regulations and all that stuff in long-term care, it was to figure out what we were going to build first. And once we figured out what we, what we built and what we had, then we could go and get the ULs changed and, and all those licensing requirements changed. And we've been doing that for a while. Um, you know, we started that process about a year and a half ago and uh, it was supposed to take six months. Well, guess what? It's still not going. And right. I expect it's going to take another three, three to six months. And, but it's just patience. And, you know, everybody is resistant to change. It doesn't matter what industry or what, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, old dog, new tricks type of thing. 
that that's just normal for human behavior. You're always you're safe with the big guys, you know. So if you're in technology, you're safe hiring Microsoft and Apple and Google. You're all safe there. Hiring a little company out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, you know, poses some risks. Um, we're not as established and we don't have the support and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, maintaining your course and being patient as you go through those regulations and licensing things will get you there. But it's just having the patience, really, and being willing to to wait. And that goes back to the funding thing, too, right? You have to make sure you have the funding in place to to get through these time periods and these journeys. But it's a it's just a patient thing. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Stuart. So much out of our conversation, and I feel like our audience um, would have learned a lot. Like, I mean, it was just rich in information and experience, and I hope it continues to inspire our listeners too. Um, thank you so much for your time. This is fantastic. Thank you, Stuart. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I really appreciate the opportunity.